turn those lights on. I have enough trouble seeing. I need all the light I can get. Greg asked me a few weeks ago if I'd preach tonight, and I told him I would. And at the time, I didn't really have anything, I guess in my mind at least, to say, use the phrase, a hot topic to talk about. Didn't really know what I was going to talk about. And I was asking somebody recently what I ought to talk about, and they said, well, talk about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and the lessons that we can learn from that. And at the time, I thought, that's not going to work. But for lack of anything else, I got to thinking about it a good bit and thought, well, that, that, that ought to work. We ought to be able to learn some lessons from that. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Well, if you will, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> I'm going to read the account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. It's a rather lengthy reading. But I think we need to do that in order to be able to get the, the gist of what we're talking about tonight. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone about him from heaven. Excuse me. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then, he, then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard, many, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately they fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So here we see Saul of Tarsus. He was, he was on a mission. He was headed to Damascus. He was busy persecuting the church, and he was there, and he, if he found anybody, any Christians there, he was going to arrest them and bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. But as he was on his way, this bright light came around him, and, and Jesus spoke to him. And one of the first things I think that we can observe from Saul and his conversion on the road was that he was busy under, doing what he understood to be God's will. In the Law of Moses, if you read through it, it talks about people that are practicing false religion. If the Israelites were doing things that were against God's will, they wasn't following the Law of Moses they were supposed to. And it was reported they were to investigate that, and then they were to punish them for it. And the punishment was putting them to death. And so Saul was doing that. He had heard that in Damascus there was Christians there. There was people following after Christ and his teachings, and he believed those teachings to be false teachings. And so he was doing what he understood the Law of Moses to say. 
that he was to go and to hunt those people down, investigate this, and they were to be punished for it. Uh, in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, Paul was, in, was on trial, and he says that he lived in all good conscience to, up to that point at time that he was speaking there. Paul was doing this in good conscience. He was doing what he thought was right. Uh, but when we look at it, Paul was wrong and he was lost. There's more to being right with God than just having a good conscience. I've talked to people over the years, and you're trying to discuss spiritual matters with them, and they say, well, I've got a good conscience about what I'm doing. My conscience is clear. I don't think I'm doing wrong. You're trying to talk to them, and they say, well, I believe you can do whatever you feel like is right before God. Paul was doing, Saul was doing what he felt like was right before God, but he was wrong, and he was lost. There's a lot of people today in that same exact situation. They're doing what they think is right, but they're wrong. And they're lost. And when they talk about our conscience, we have to think, what is our conscience? Our conscience is a net mechanism that God has built into us to help us. And if we're doing good, to keep us on that track. Or if we're doing bad, to nag at us, to make us try to correct ourselves. Our conscience is only as good as our teaching is. Uh, in years past, I don't know if they're still that way now, but you, you hear about people in Africa that were cannibals. In their mind, in their conscience, they wasn't doing anything wrong. They thought they were supposed to eat their neighbor. You know, if we can catch him and kill him, we're supposed to eat him. That's what they thought. It, was, it wasn't a matter that bothered their conscience. They was doing what they was right. But we know that it was wrong. When we think about our conscience, it's an emotional response or feeling related to our actions versus our teachings that we've been taught. And so it's something there to help us, to help to guide us. But there's an old saying, let your conscience be your guide. Our conscience is not an infallible guide. It can get us in a lot of trouble if we haven't been taught properly. And so that's what we need to think about, is that we may be doing what we think is right. To the best of our knowledge and our training, we might be doing what we're sure is right, but we can be wrong and be lost. Another thing that we have to think about with Saul that I thought about as I was reading through this passage, Saul had heard the word before, but he didn't believe it. Uh, We know in Acts chapter 6 through Acts chapter 8, verse 1 at least, he had heard a lesson taught by Stephen before Stephen was stoned. And it was a good lesson. We've read over it, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. From that. So Paul had heard the word. And there's some people that say, well, if you've heard the word, you're okay. You'll be fine as long as you know about Jesus. Well, Paul had heard the word. He knew about Jesus. He knew what was being taught about him. He knew enough to believe it was wrong. But Paul, having heard, well, that wasn't sufficient. And even when Jesus came to him on the road here, and asked Paul, said, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, Jesus, who you're persecuting, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Paul heard then, but he still wasn't a saved individual. There's more to being saved and being right with God than just hearing the word. So that's another lesson that I believe that we can learn about from Paul and his, or Saul and his conversion on the road to Damascus. And when we think about it, I thought something that was interesting that we can learn there is that since the day of Pentecost when the church was established, no one was given direct revelation on what they must do to be saved. And to the best of my knowledge and, and that, uh, that I could think of, there was only one other case where an unsaved person received a direct revelation from God, and that was the household of Cornelius. And in both of these cases, whether it was Paul or whether it was Cornelius, the information that was imparted to them wasn't on what they had to do to be saved, but what they had to do to find out what to do to be saved. Paul was told, you go to Damascus, going into Damascus, and it'll be told what you must do. Cornelius was told, send for Peter, and he'll tell you what you must do. So we don't find any example in the, the pattern that is in the New Testament of people receiving a direct revelation from God and being told what they had to do to be saved. 
Now, there's people in the world today that you talk with that when you try to talk to them about their, to use the phrase, salvation experience, they want to tell you, well, there's this voice come to me from heaven and told me what I needed to do, or that this voice come to me from heaven and I know that I'm saved because of that. Well, that's not what we read about in the Bible. And if we can learn something from Paul and his conversion was that that's not how it works. That's not the pattern in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it said, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who would be saved. So what Paul and Cornelius was both told was that if you want to be right with God, you go find the people that... And he gave them instruction on where to go to find the people that could tell them what they had to do to be saved. They had to be preached to. Some man, a human agency, had to be involved in teaching them. It wasn't strictly an operation of the Holy Spirit, some miraculous thing. And for the ones that we think about today that think, well, they're getting this voice from God or whatever, uh, I believe we could understand that a, a message, divine message from God, whether it was Jesus appearing to Paul or a spirit appearing to Cornelius, was a miraculous event. That's outside the normal realm of, of nature. And we know as we studied the Bible, the New Testament especially, that the time of miracles is over with. So we're not going to get those kind of things today. And we don't need them because we've got the Bible. We've got all we can handle to study right now to know what we need to do to be saved. We don't need anything extra to have to deal with. So another lesson that we can get is that we have to. there's more to it than just believing. There's more to it than just hearing the Word. Uh, it's clear at this point in, in verse 6... A lot of people say, well, all you've got to do to be saved is believe. Well, when you go to verse 6 and it says, Paul, trembling and astonished, says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Paul was a believer at this point. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind or anybody else's mind that Paul was a believer. He refers to Jesus as identified himself as who he is, and Paul refers to him as Lord and understands who he is. So Paul is definitely a believer. But it takes more than belief to be saved because Jesus didn't say, well, you're a believer now, so you're okay. That wasn't what he said. He says, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you have to do. You know, I believe when that spirit came to Cornelius, he was a believer in God already, but he wasn't saved. He was told what, that he was going to have to get more information, that someone would tell him what he had to do. And so we have to understand that there's more to being saved than being, just being a believer. And there's a lot of people in the world today that tell you, all you got to do is believe on Jesus to be saved. I don't believe Paul thought for a second at this point that he was a saved individual. And I don't believe Jesus was even, it said anything that would imply that, Paul, that Saul of Tarsus was a saved individual at this point because he said, go into the city and you'll be told what you have to do. I think also a lot of times when people talk about belief only, they'll say, well, but you, you do have to confess. Well, in verses 5 and 6, Paul, Saul confessed Jesus as Lord and asked him what he, wanted to do, what he had to do. He recognized there was something more that he needed to do or he wouldn't have been saying what I need to do. He wouldn't have asked that, but he confessed him as Lord. But even there at that point, there's no implication from Jesus that Paul was a saved individual, that Saul didn't understand that he was a saved individual yet or he wouldn't have had to ask what he had to do. <clears throat> I think it's also clear in that same time frame that Saul had repented, but he wasn't saved yet. Uh, if he hadn't repented, he wouldn't have been asking what he needed to do. He'd have been saying, well, you may be Jesus, but I don't care because I'm still going to persecute you. But he'd repented of the sinful action that he'd been doing of persecuting the church. He's a good man other than that, but that wasn't enough either. Uh, it says, arise and go to the city and you'll be told what you've got to do. And I think something else that indicates that Paul had repented, it said that he was in prayer and he'd been three days without food and water. Paul was fasting. He knew 
from talking to Jesus here on the road that he'd made a colossal blunder. He'd been persecuting Jesus. And so he knew he'd made a mistake, and he knew he had to do something to correct it. And one of the things he was doing was fasting. He was, he was sacrificing food and water so that he could, I guess you'd say, keep his mind clear and focused on what he needed to do when he found out. He was preparing himself in order to do this. So I think that's another evidence of his repentance. But even at repentance yet, he wasn't a saved individual. He'd done a lot of what we understand the Bible teaches that we need to do to be saved. He'd heard, he'd believed, he'd repented, he'd confessed, but he wasn't saved yet. So as we're going down through the story, we even see that God told Ananias, he says, you go to him because he's, he's praying. And there's a lot of people in the world today, in the religious world, to tell you, all you've got to do is pray this sinner's prayer and you'll be all right. Now, we don't know what Paul's prayer was, what words he was using in his prayer, but we know he's pretty intent on it because he'd been fasting and praying for three days. And you would think that if prayer was enough to save you, when Ananias came to him, he said, Saul, you're a good fellow and God's already saved you because you've prayed about it. But that's not what he told him. What Ananias told him in uh, Acts 22, verse 16, he said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul or Saul was taught at that point that baptism was essential for salvation and that baptism washed away your sins. Baptism's not just an act of a good conscience that some people tell you. It's not just something you do to demonstrate to others that you've accepted Jesus and are saved. Because ultimately, when you think about it, I don't need to demonstrate to anybody else through an act of baptism that I've been saved because it, it, you can't do anything to affect my salvation one way or the other. What I need to do in baptism is be obedient to God. And that's what Saul of Tarsus was doing at this time. He, when he was told that, it says immediately he was baptized. And I think there's an important lesson to learn from that was that not only was baptism essential, but he done it immediately. And if you think about it, Saul of Tarsus had been without food and water for three days now. If I go without food for three days, I'm really, really hungry. I've never done it before as far as I know but I have fasted for a day at a time a few times, and at the end of the 24 hours of fasting, I'm starting to get kind of hungry. If I've gone three days of fasting, I'm sure that I'd be incredibly hungry. And also, it says he'd not eaten or drank anything for three days. If you've gone three days without water, then you're starting to get to the point of dehydration that your body's being damaged. So Paul was in a bad shape in one way of looking at it here, but he was doing that. But what we have to understand was that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, put being right with God as far and away more important than eating, even though he was at beginning in the stage as a starving, even though he's in bad dehydration needing water. He put being right with God ahead of that. And I think that's what we need to consider in our life. Maybe that's one of the most important things that we can learn in this lesson, was that being right with God is the most important thing. It's far and away more important than food or drink. It's far more important than work. It's far more important than school or, we, what, or recreation or anything that we would want to describe or think about that we tend to do as people. Being right with God is more important. If being right with God was more important than, than Saul, after being without food and water for three days, it, it was, we can see that there was a great importance in, in applied to it. <clears throat> and then the, the last lesson that I have that I think we need to consider uh, on this is that in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues. Paul, Saul of Tarsus understood that when he had become a Christian now, but that didn't mean his ticket was punched. That didn't mean he'd done everything he needed to do. Paul understood that when we become a Christian, 
that at that point, it's time to get to work. It's not a time to sit back, but it's a time to get to work. And so it says immediately, uh, he preached Christ in the synagogues, then all who were amazed and said, Is not this not he who destroyed those who caught on his name in Jerusalem and came here for that purpose? In verse 22, it says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Paul went to work. And that's what we need to do. When we become Christians, it's time to start to work. It doesn't mean our work is done. <clears throat> so we have to ask ourselves tonight, have we been saved like Saul of Tarsus was? Have we heard the word? Have we believed it? Have we confessed that Jesus was the Savior? Have we repented of our sins? Have we been baptized in water like Saul was in order to have our sins washed away? Not just a show of good faith toward other people, but in order to have our sins washed away. First Peter 3.21 tells us that baptism also now saves us. Have we done that? If not, you can do that tonight. You don't have to leave this building a lost person. It may be that in the past you've done that and been walks, began a walk as a Christian but haven't been faithful to it. You can come forward tonight confessing your sins and asking for the prayers of the church and be restored and be right with Jesus. In either case, you can be right with God when you leave this building. If you have need in either way, won't you come as we stand and sing?